Hello, and welcome to the Power Your Advice podcast. The Power Your Advice podcast is designed to bring financial advisors new ideas, why those ideas should be considered, and how to implement them into your business. This podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place for advisors to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I couldn't be more excited to have James Pollard with us. James is the founder of the Advisor Coach LLC, a company that helps financial advisors grow their businesses and get more clients. That's all the intro I have time for because we have a lot to cover in this one. Thanks so much for being with us, James. Thank you. I know every single podcast guest has to, it's the law. They have to say, thank you for having me. So there's my legal obligation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> as, I, as I flew through the intro, did I lead anything out that you want me to say? I'm sure that we'll get to some different things from my world in the conversation. But yeah, essentially the advisor coach, uh, also host of the financial advisor marketing podcast, used to have a, another podcast. We're not going to talk about that here, but a lot of cool stuff in the advisor coaches world. Great. Of all the coaches in our industry, you're among the youngest. How did you get here? Why financial services? I mean, you could have pointed your arrow anywhere and flown. So yes, that is true. I am one of the youngest. I used to catch a lot of heat for it back in 2014, 2015, when I was first working with advisors, because it is tough. I do. To I totally get it. If you're uh, approaching someone who is, uh, I'll just say experienced, and you approach them and say, hey, I can help you with X, Y, Z. They're like, okay, sure, whatever, go away. I understand. But now at this point, I believe that, yes, I'm one of the youngest, but I'm also one of the most experienced. And that may sound counterintuitive, but when you realize how much data I have, how many tests I can run, uh, I have access to literally thousands, tens of thousands of financial advisors who are in my world. I have a, a couple hundred, uh, well, several hundred at this point who are paying members of the Inner Circle newsletter who are some of the most successful advisors in the world. I can tap into them, ask them questions, and I can get information that literally no one else can get. I mean, there are surveys and studies that are done that are, are credible at a sample size of a thousand. Well, if I can get information from 40, 50,000 financial advisors, I, I can have access to the information other people can't. Um, how did I get here? Well, I've always been involved in the marketing world. I have done everything from run pay-per-click websites, personal finance sites, uh, content marketing, even selling on eBay. I've always had my toes in the water of marketing and digital marketing, uh, direct mail marketing, studied some of the greats in our industry that people who are listening to this podcast probably would have no idea who these people are. So I won't get into that. Um, eventually, I had a couple of friends who were in the financial services business and they were, one was a financial advisor. He said, Hey, I know you're into this marketing thing. Would you help me with my business? And I said, Yes and did really well. And he had some other friends. He was like, Hey, this James guy is the real deal. He can help you. And it started off as like a little referral thing, just within a circle of friends, no big deal. And then I thought to myself, because coming from marketing, I was like, I can market this and I can take this show on the road. So I started the advisor coach. And the reason the business is named the advisor coach is because my original business model was coaching advisors one-on-one, -on -one because I thought that was the that was the ticket. I thought that's what you had to do. So started coaching, coaching, eventually booked my calendar out. I had a waiting list. I felt guilty for having a waiting list because, well, quite frankly, I wouldn't want to be on one, right? And I want to treat others how I would like to be treated. And I got it got to a point where people just weren't quitting. I was just, I because I had the 
some information built into my model that where people would quit and I could move on to the next coaching client and it just didn't happen. So I said, you know what? I'm shutting the whole thing down and I'm moving to what is essentially a publishing model, which is what the advisor coach is uh, today. You're also the most brash about your convictions and what advisors should and shouldn't do. You take a subject and you rip the bandaid off. Where does that freedom come from? Because I don't need their validation. Uh, that sounds brash in and of itself, but I, I really don't need validation from another person or because I, I don't operate based on feelings or emotion. It goes back to the data thing. If I can get the data and for example, there are different studies which say that referral marketing is effective for people age 45 and older, and it's not so effective for people who are under age 45. Well, if someone comes to me and is trying to adopt a referral marketing strategy for millennials, there's no feeling for me in, involved in that whatsoever. I would just simply say the study studies have already been done. The information has already been gathered. If you are trying to focus on referral marketing to millennials, uh, you are making a poorly informed decision. So um, it, it's backed by information. And when you have the correct information, when you have the correct data, you have such a strong foundation that you can't get knocked off of that. So I think that's where it comes from. Your social media posts for people who follow you on LinkedIn or Twitter seem all over the place, but they're not. I saw one last week about ordering two pizzas for 75 bucks. Your polls ask really unique questions. What's the big idea here? Well, I think the cop-out answer is building a relationship. And, and that's partly true. I am building a relationship with financial advisors. I don't spend as much time on social media as I would like because I actually am running a business and doing other things. I, I like social media. I like LinkedIn the best, but... Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, Sigmund Freud says that sometimes a cigar is just a, a cigar. So sometimes my social media posts are just random social media posts. Uh, the pizza thing was actually pretty nice. So my anniversary was in the first week of November, and I ordered two Giordano's pieces from Chicago. I know if you're listening to this, you know, financial advisors or whoever's listening, you may be a Lou Malnati's person. I understand that. But I ordered Giordano's for this particular event. And the Giordano's pieces were, yeah, I think, yeah, 70 some, 70 some dollars. And I just wrote a post about price versus value. A lot of people think, oh, people shop on price. That's not necessarily true. They shop based on value. And I pay the price for the pieces because they're really, really good. And a little hint for anybody who's ordering frozen deep dish pizza, do not follow their instructions and cook for like 40 minutes crank your oven all the way up to 550, the hottest it can go and put it in there for five to eight minutes and it will rock your world. So there you go. That's the value of the podcast here. <laughs> um, I'd like to cover a gamut of topics with you about the benefits or lack thereof for advisors in the practices game. That's, that sounds good. Sounds good to me. Okay. The advisor website, how important is it? It's incredibly important, but I do think, and how, how can I say this without confusing people? It's incredibly important, but at the same time, financial advisors place too much emphasis on it. And what I mean is they will try to, to inflate it with so many different pages, the blog post, content, different landing pages, and those can work if you know what you're doing. For 90 to 95% of people who are listening to this, a simple website, and I talk about this in um, one of the products of the Advisor Coach I'm not going to plug it on the show. If people want it, they can go look at it. But it, my philosophy is if you can nail your homepage, nail your about us page and nail your contact page, 
you will be so far ahead of everyone else. The mistake that people make with those three pages is they don't, they don't have them talk to each other. Uh, back to the data thing. I feel like I'm going to beat a dead horse with the data information. Um, you and I were talking not too long ago off the air about um, how what I would do with financial advisors is I would say, I'm going to write down your top three most visited pages and I'm going to write, I'm going to write them down. You're going to go to your analytics. You're going to look at them. And then when you look at them, I'm going to raise my paper up and you're going to see what I wrote down. And it's almost always the home, the about us and the contact page. And if you are if financial advisors, if you're listening to my voice right now and you have Google analytics set up, check this for yourself. If you're a little bit uh, more tech savvy and you're fancier, you can set up something called goals and you, you will see people will bounce around from the home, the about us and the contact. Even if you have a blog post, you will see that people go from that blog post to back to your homepage, or they will go to the about us. They will learn more about you. And that is the path to which most people set an appointment on your website. So I know that's a long-winded answer. It's incredibly important, but at the same time, I do think that financial advisors make their websites a little more bloated than they should be. So those three things, is there anything else that are nice to have? Nice to have is an integration to your social media profiles, which I'm sure that we'll talk about, uh, an integration to your email list, maybe an opt-in form. Um, I'm perhaps best known now for my email marketing. I've been email market, emailing every single day for years. I've run, I've tested millions of emails at this point for financial advisors, and it is very, very cool uh, to see the certain things that you can do with email marketing. Those are definitely nice to have for sure. Okay. So blogging, content marketing, should advisors blog? And if so, what should they be talking about? The weird thing about blogging is if you are already doing LinkedIn marketing and you're doing email marketing, you got your autoresponder, you got your website, you are, you have a team member who is doing the lower value task and you don't have any other time to do any other stuff because you're completely maxed out, then sure, blog. That is the same that's a theme that I have with a lot of marketing strategies and a lot of marketing approaches that financial advisors have is I try to structure where the highest priority and most effective things get done first. Meaning if email marketing has an average return of $44 for every dollar spent, which is true, you can Google it. I will put you on email marketing before I put you on blogging. And the reason I do that is because I want to maximize people's value. I want to front load how much money they can make essentially. And blogging is, it's just not near the top of the totem pole. Everybody, I feel like it was 2017, 2018, everybody started blogging. Then everybody hopped on social media in the uh, 2020 pandemic and which led to something really interesting. And we can talk about that. Um, it's the contrast effect. And then I feel like in late 2020 to early 2021, financial advisors um, are starting to hop on like podcasting as, and that's fine. I mean, it is what it is, but blogging is just like I said, I'm going to repeat myself. It's, it's near the bottom of the totem pole in marketing. Um, is MarTech blogging blogging or is that just, you know, you're not even having your own thoughts out there. What's, what do you think about that? I don't have many thoughts about that. Um, it's in that particular world. So it's done more or less for SEO purposes. So it is another marketing channel for them. It's a way for them to get found in the search engines. The reason it works for them is because they have deep pockets for the most part. Some of them don't. I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I've had the fortune or misfortune of seeing some behind the scenes of some of these things. And 
they have deep pockets. They can pay someone like me to essentially help them rank in Google. Um, I don't, I don't offer SEO services as a package per se, but I have done consultations where I literally just tell people what to do. The advisor coach ranks for a ton of terms. So we kind of sort of know what we're doing. Um, but financial advisors, when they hear this information and they, they hear, Ooh, SEO, I can rank for such and such, and I can get all this traffic. That's true, but it's also maybe not the best use of your time. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I believe something like financial advisor, New York get got like 590 searches per month, or maybe it was financial advisor, New York city. Uh, I'm sure someone will email me and give me the exact numbers. But when you look at the facts, they are that there are something like 19,000 financial advisors in New York or New York city, depending on which one I'm thinking of. So per searches or per the searchers also not that many searches to go around. So you have to take that into consideration as well. I mean, how many people are really searching financial advisor, Wichita, Kansas, is it worth your time? Uh, if you're a financial advisor in Wichita, Kansas with a small business, you're probably not going to beat Charles Schwab, Investopedia, NerdWallet, the MarTech companies who are already ranking for should I invest in a Roth IRA, Roth IRA versus traditional IRA, uh, benefits of a 401k. Those terms are so competitive. I, I hate to be you know, cynical and say that you shouldn't even try, but just make your own judgment there. So email marketing, I know it's huge for us and for you. What's your view on it for advisors? Email marketing is ridiculous. It is so it surprises even me. I mean, not much phases me anymore, but every so often we'll come across such a huge monster winner. And it's only possible through email because email allows trust to be built. It reduces skepticism. Um, according to an AARP study, 45% of Americans would rather visit the dentist than meet with a financial advisor. So you can imagine where these people are coming from and how they feel about meeting with you. And I know that everybody thinks they're special. Everybody thinks that they're approachable, but the, the facts are the facts. Okay. And email, when someone introduces themselves via email and says, Hey, I'm here to help you. I help people just like you. If you're a dentist and you opted into my email list for dentist, I'm going to send an email saying, Hey, I'm a financial advisor who works specifically with dentists. If I have uh, credibility pieces, like for example, if I've been featured on a podcast um, for a dentist, Maybe there's a show that dentists listen to. I don't know. And I share that in an email that builds credibility and reduces skepticism. It is very hard to do that when it's buried in a blog somewhere, when it's buried in your social media posts somewhere. Sure. If you post it on LinkedIn and you have a couple thousand connections, sure. A couple thousand people can see that at one time your, uh, your beautiful voice was featured on a dentist podcast. That's awesome. I love that. And I wouldn't say not to do that. But the power of email marketing, especially when you set up something called an autoresponder sequence, is that you can send predetermined emails out at predetermined times. Now, what happens is the person who signs up today is going to go through the same sequence as somebody who signed up two weeks ago and someone who signs up two weeks from now. The beautiful part about, about that is, well, there are several things, but I'll give you two. Number one is you can ensure that every single person, no exceptions, will see the credibility mechanism that you insert in there. So if you've been featured on the podcast, you can guarantee and you can know for certain that every single person who opens your emails sees that. And number two, it's a follow-up mechanism. Uh, there was a man named Robert Clay, who is a marketer, comes from the marketing world. He did some studies and found that 80% of all sales were made after the fifth contact. 
you can get five contacts in the email autoresponder sequence like that. I'm snapping my fingers in case it gets edited out, edited out in post-production. Um, you can get it very, very easily. So merely by stacking email marketing, even if you only have, let, just it doesn't have to be complicated. Let's say that you have three autoresponder emails or three emails that you send out manually if you're at a wirehouse that doesn't let you use an autoresponder sequence. You can do this manually. Let's say that you only have three. You find someone on LinkedIn, you connect with them, you follow them, whatever. That's a contact number one. You send three emails and then you do something else. It could be a phone call. It could be a handwritten note. It could be an invitation to a seminar. I don't really care what it is. But the mere fact that you got to those five touches now puts you in the top uh, 20% of financial advisors, uh, at least, at least. So that's why email marketing is so beautiful and so powerful. So what are the tricks to keep your email subscribers subscribed and not offending them so they click the unsubscribe button? <laughs> so, oh my goodness. I, I get that question a lot. Uh, I would encourage your listeners to shift the way that they think about unsubscribes. If I don't get unsubscribes on an email, I know I'm doing something wrong. I freak out a little bit. My heart starts to beat a little faster. I worry. Uh, doubt creeps into my mind because unsubscribes are a way to filter people. That's really all it is. Um, one of the basic things that I teach advisors when they go through like the inner circle newsletter or different things, one of the things that really gets hammered into their head is that prospecting is all about filtering. Prospecting is not about having the biggest list possible. It is not about gathering names. It is not about putting together a list of 250 friends and family members that it seems like these, I'm not going to name the companies, but certain companies want you to do. Prospecting is actually about filtering because you can't become exclusive unless you exclude people. But think about this. Let's say that, let's go back to the dentist example. Let's say that you're a dentist and you have an opt-in called uh, 25 things dentists should know about retirement before selling their practice. If someone opts into that and they unsubscribe, they're voting with their finger, I should say. People say vote with their dollars, vote with their feet. They're voting with their finger by clicking out. They weren't interested. That's a great thing. It, it allows you to know who is interested versus who is not. When people unsubscribe, they are filtering themselves for you. You don't have to delete them from your CRM. A lot of times this is done automatically. You don't have to guess and really like cross your fingers and be like, is Bill really interested this time? Let me try again. No, Bill unsubscribed. And that's good because not only does it filter people, it gives you a more accurate view of what you're dealing with. For a lot of other marketing strategies, let's just say like cold calling or direct mail or something like that, where you have a lot, a list of a lot of people. It's very hard for you to know, looking at that list, who is interested versus who is not interested. When you have an email sequence, let's just say of those three emails, when you get to the end and you see that 5% of people unsubscribed, you know for sure that those 5% of people were not interested. So the hard work is already done for you. And when given the option of having other people do the work for me and me having to do the work myself, I would choose to have other people do the work. So don't fear unsubscribes. Let's move on. Social media. Everybody must be connected 24-7, right? Well, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not connected 24-7, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that social media is so powerful that the, there, you think about it this way. You have people who are getting paid six figures, sometimes seven figures, especially team leaders at these companies, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, uh, Instagram is also Facebook uh, or Meta now, I should say. 
they're getting paid a lot of money to make sure that you stay on these platforms. Social media, it's called a social media feed for a reason. There is a feed bag being hooked up to you whenever you go on these social media sites. In the same way that a sword can be used to uh, protect someone or a, and kill someone or a surgeon's knife can be used to kill someone or save a life at the same time. Um, social media can be in, extraordinarily helpful, but it can also be extraordinarily harmful. I would highly recommend that financial advisors install a Chrome extension called Newsfeed Eradicator. This has been around for a long time. Uh, several people are already, or many people are already using it, but if you haven't heard of it, install it. If you use a Chrome browser, it's called News Feed Eradicator, and it will allow you, it will get rid of your feed, essentially. You will no longer have the feed attached to your face, like a horse feed bag attached to the horse's uh, mouth. Uh, you can focus on social media a little bit more. I, I want you to, we'll talk about LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know if you have any questions about LinkedIn necessarily. I do, but before we get to LinkedIn or anything else, uh, I know the answer to this, but I want to tell you. I want you to tell me why, because we talked about this um, earlier. What's more valuable between social media and email marketing? And I know your answer, but but why? It's email. Um, the biggest reason is the fact that you would own your email list. Social media, and the marketers call it rented land. And there are some truth. There's some truth to the rented land idea. I agree with it more than I disagree with it. Where there have been horror stories of people having their accounts shut down overnight for even mistakes, people being suspended for a couple of days, and it just sends shivers down their spine. If your email account gets disabled, like if you're using Constant Contact or Mailchimp or something, you can just move to ConvertKit or Active Campaign. It's no big deal as long as you back up your email list. Um, the beautiful thing. Great things start to happen when you link social media and email together. But if I could only have one, it's not even close. It would be email. Yes. I, I'm, I'm looking for, I share with you before that when people come to the advisorpedia site from social media, they visit less pages. They stay on the site less than they do with email, which is all, almost double. And you called it intent. And I thought that was very interesting. Well, it makes sense if you think about it. Remember, the, the, these people are being paid six, sometimes seven figures to make sure that you stay on the site. They are, when it comes to social media, they are only one click away. They just got to go back to the funny cat videos or whatever video or picture that they're looking at. Email is a, it's a little bit more intimate. It's a little bit more or a lot more intentional. Um, I can't remember where this stat comes from, but it's 20, 28% of People read their emails on iPhone, and they typically do that when they have some free time. So people, you can make the argument that people also search or scroll on social media when they have free time, but there's so much, so many more distractions. When people are viewing your email, that is the only thing that is occurring on their phone at that time. Even when someone's viewing your social media post, there are other buttons. There are people above them. There are people below them. With an email, it is just you for that very brief moment in time. And if you capture their attention, you, they are putty in your hands. You mentioned podcasting. It's the rage. More and more people are podcasting. It now seems like it's a have to for advisors. What's your view? Well, I am a little biased. Um, I'm an ambassador for the company called The Podcast Factory. And The Podcast Factory helps people start their podcast. Um, surprisingly, 
whenever I mention that, and I've even told financial advisors, like, I'm being serious. If you want help starting a podcast, like I'm here for you. Not many people reach out. Uh, they try to go at it alone, which I admire and pity at the same time. I admire it because they it takes guts and it takes skill and they, they're obviously dedicated in, uh, to figure it out themselves. But I pity them because they don't have access to the tools and resources that I know can help them greatly. I, podcasting is, at this point, I would only do it if I knew for sure that I had a niche and I was committed to that niche for the next couple of years. And let me say, let me explain why. And this is from personal experience because I had the advisor coach podcast and then, which is defunct. You can't even find the episodes anywhere. Um, they're, they're not out on the web anywhere. So don't even try to look for them. Then you have the, we had the financial advisor marketing podcast, which at this point has more than 150 episodes. I can tell you that having 150 episodes is not a mere 15 times more powerful than 10 episodes. It is way, way, way more powerful. If you are going to start a podcast, make sure that you are in it for the long haul to where you can get to that 100 episode mark. Because the feeling that someone gets when they view you, the authority figure, the thought leader, whatever you want to call yourself, and they see that you have 100 episodes behind your back, you are obviously dedicated to them. You obviously care about that market and your roots are deep. For a prospective client who is looking for a financial advisor, um, I will say all else being equal, but even if a financial advisor who is your competitor smokes you in another area, maybe this person is far more experienced. Maybe this person has far more credentials. The fact that you have deeper roots will tend to win. So that, that's how I feel about podcasting. Lastly, um, LinkedIn. I know you love it. Should advisors love it too? And how should they approach it? They should absolutely love LinkedIn. LinkedIn, uh, according to a study called Advisor Value Propositions, LinkedIn is the number two most used search engine to search for financial advisors. It is second only to Google. And the reason people search for you on Google is, well, to find out more about you. But guess what's included in the Google results when someone searches John Smith, Wichita, Kansas, financial advisor, the, the LinkedIn page essentially is going to be in those Google results. So even, even though it's number two, I feel like the actual percentage that's cited in that study should be a lot higher because I'm, I'm almost positive that people are going to click on the LinkedIn profile once they search in Google anyway. Uh, so it's incredibly important. The way that financial advisors use LinkedIn though, again, we have to go back to the data. There was another study, it was done, it's called the 2020 Putnam Social Advisor Study uh, or Survey, Social Advisor Survey. And again, all this stuff is verifiable. This is the reason that I don't really need the validation because I'm just putting the information out there. People can make their own judgment. This study found that 94% of financial advisors who are seeing results with social media are using direct messages. Now think about this. There are several people out there who claim to be experts, gurus, coaches, consultants. And some of these people are wonderful people. I love these people. I network with them. They're, they're great at some things. But when they sit here and they tell financial advisors that all they need to do is quote unquote, give value, that all they need to do is post more content, that all they need to do 
is follow people and connect with them. And the leads will somehow roll in. That is just not true, period. I don't care what people think. I don't care how they feel. I don't care what book about from Gary Vaynerchuk that they read called Jab, Jab, Right Hook, whatever. I don't care. I do not care. When it comes to actual data, actual statistics with financial advisors who are actually getting clients and making money and putting that money in the bank and feeding their family and living the life that they want to live, they're using direct messages. And I say that because there, there are advisors who feel like they're flailing on social media. At the beginning of the show, you mentioned that uh, I post unique polls on LinkedIn, and that's true. One of the polls that I did was just straight up, how many clients are you getting from LinkedIn? And uh, the, the most popular answer was zero. And then it was like one to five, five to 10, or six to 10, and more than 10. And I messaged the people who said zero. And I tried to message every single person. I mean, I did it for like the first couple hours, so up to like 200 votes or whatever, but then I had to stop. But I would message everybody who voted, period. But I was most interested in the people who voted 10 plus. And I was also interested in people who voted zero. I got almost no responses from the people who voted zero. And I'm thinking, well, of course, because you don't interact. You're not messaging. You're not even responding when I ask you, hey, you know, care to share what, what do you think needs improvement? Um, what are you looking for on LinkedIn? I'm trying to ask questions. I'm trying to help these people legitimately from a place of concern because they have admitted that they have never gotten any clients from LinkedIn. So here I am trying to help through a message and I get no response. And the people who said one to five, six to 10 and 10 plus, they were significantly more likely to respond. And I got a response from, I would say, I, I obviously don't have the exact number. I didn't create a ratio, but I would say like 80-ish percent of people who said 10 plus responded back almost immediately. So these people are living in the direct uh, messages. They're living in the inbox. Well, hmm, that correlates uh, or is par parallel to the data, which is showing the financial advisors who get clients uh, engage in direct messages. There's a whole school of thought out there right now that says that you shouldn't, people call it spam and people say you shouldn't spam. They don't know what spam is. Messaging someone on LinkedIn is not spam. Sending an email is not spam. You need to know the actual definition. Um, but it was remarkable for me to see um, both with the actual study and anecdotally, like just personal experience that the ones who said 10 plus clients in my own poll they message back and they said it's because they message people. Um, they, of course, they have a niche and there are other things that are involved in that too. A lot of the people who got zero clients from LinkedIn did not have a niche. Their headlines said something like financial advisor at XYZ financial, whatever, and that's it. There was no niche, no value proposition, nothing. Um, but the financial advisors who said 10 plus, they were more active in messages. So I love LinkedIn, but you have to use it correctly. All right. I'm going to ask you one final question. What's the thing you get asked about the most? The thing I get asked, that's a really good question. Um, I am going to give a knee jerk response here. And it's typically about email marketing. And it's typically from financial advisors who are at wirehouses or different broker dealers. And they ask like, how can I make this work for me? And it's because my presentation about email marketing is so strong where I have so many different facts. I have so many different case studies. I have so many different testimonials. I have proof on top of proof on top of proof that they want to see if they can make it work. Uh, aside from that, there's an entire umbrella of 
questions or an umbrella over the top of all the different questions about what separates successful financial advisors from the unsuccessful financial advisors. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic potion. It is a multifaceted answer. Introverts do things differently than extroverts do. There have been uh, terrible stories that I've heard of introvert financial advisors seeking out an extrovert mentor, for example, and the extrovert mentor will give them advice and share experiences uh, based on their knowledge, which is not wrong. And there's it's neither right nor wrong, but it doesn't work for the introvert. Someone who is niche focused will have a different approach from someone with a generalist focus. It is very, 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 very dangerous to adopt any particular dogma in business building. I, I try to be flexible when I can. There are some principles that I adhere to most of the time, but whenever anyone says that this is the one thing you must do, or this is the true proven method that works in all cases at all times, it just doesn't exist. So I think when financial advisors ask the, what makes what makes for a successful financial advisor versus an unsuccessful financial advisor, they're asking out of hope and they want me to tell them the one thing, but uh, sadly I, I can't because it's, it's not, it doesn't exist. James, this has been highly enlightening and entertaining. I had a blast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, how do people find you? Because I know they're going to want to find you. So people can find me by going to theadvisorcoach.com. That is T-H-E, the word the, don't forget the, advisorcoach.com. You can also search Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you dare, you can search James Pollard on LinkedIn and follow me and or connect. Whatever floats your boat, whatever shaves your beard, I don't care. It works, whatever works for you. Great. Please follow us for all the latest updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everyone at Advisorpedia, our producer, Jakey Beard, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikinen.